people are us. We focus on people. We design our ideas around people. We care and are concerned for people. We love people. We are the Crossroads Chapel, the people you hear and see every year at the Minnesota State Fair. For us, life is based on two things, loving God and loving people. Thanks for joining us. Even pastors going to the point of committing suicide, what's going on in our society today and what does the church need to be doing? We are bombarded with images like no other generation before us, from social media to 24-hour news cycles. We have images before us of decomposed bodies and murders and mysteries and killings and mayhem every day. Well, the Bible talks about without a vision the people perish. It depends on what you look at, whether you perish or whether you produce. And I think that we, we have released so much stress on ourselves. We, we have made ourselves available to more people than we ever have in the history of this planet. You can text me. You can tweet me. You can get me on Facebook. You can Instagram. You can Periscope. You've got, you can dial me up on the phone. You can write me a letter. We, we, we have no privacy. We have no peace. We have no off switch. So all of a sudden, it's not only that you're bombarded with pressure, it's that you can't get away from it. And I think that's a real problem for people of faith and leaders and all types of people. We are just imploding. And I think what we can pray for is the still place, the calm place. Uh, he leadeth me beside still waters. And I think not only pray for, we need to practice having little Sabbaths like the Bible said we should, and, and, and just get away from everything, shut everything down, cut the switch off so that you can find you. You found your followers, you found your friends, you found everything. Find you. And in and, and quietness and confidence, the Bible said, should be your strength. Mental health is a major problem for people today in all walks of life. We have become a medicated country with an estimated 7.2% of American adults had a major depression episode in the past year, according to the CDC. Other CDC statistics are... During the years 2015 through 2018, 13.2% of adults aged 18 and over used antidepressant medications. The use is higher among women, 17.7%, than men at 8.4%. Antidepressant use increased with age overall in both sexes. Use was highest among women aged 60 and over, almost 25%. Well, today I want to talk with a pastor, a counselor who has had a lot of experience both in and out of the church with mental illness. And Dan Munson is the founder of Family Innovations, a counseling clinic, and has had over 30-plus years in the mental health teaching, awareness, and prevention ministry and business. So Dan has some insights on mental health, and we felt it essential to talk to him today on the podcast. Welcome, Dan. Good to be with you, Larry. First of all, Dan, mental health issues are found in a growing percentage of people today. Some function by masking their issues by medication or substance abuse, while others are homeless 
illness, unable to cope with modern living. So how do you define that term, mental illness? Yeah, that's really a good question. We certainly debate it, don't we? Both in the secular world and in the church world. What in the world is mental health? We sometimes talk about mental hygiene, mental illness, mental challenges, mental health. I think it's a holistic term from my point of view that we need to look at it from the physiological side of things as well as the spiritual side of things. And unfortunately, Larry, I think what happens is those two sides decide to kind of fight about who's right about it, who has the right perspective, who has the core perspective. And so the medical model argues from their perspective and the spiritual model, we argue from our perspective. And uh, I've found that as we decide to put the client first, the patient first, the parishioner first, our friend, head of all of our arguments, and we begin to think about what does this person need? What is it they need most? Oftentimes, mental health is truly taking a look at the physiological side of things. There's a balance an imbalance in the brain. Bipolar, for instance, you can pray all you want, but you need to have that medication to help out in that particular case. Others would say, well, if we prayed harder, we may not need that. And that's missing the opportunity to see how both systems work together, the medical model and the spiritual model. So mental health, in my point of view, Larry, is when there is that balance between looking at the physical things like you would a physical illness. So mental illness, like a physical illness, is something that we look to the doctors for help, but we look to Christ as our main foundation for all of the help. In fact, doesn't Christ give help in different ways? You know, all truth is God's truth, right? Mm -hmm. So when the science has some truth and when the medical world has some truth and when the scriptures have truth, all truth that's really truth, you know, comes from our God. And so it's a holistic thing of body, soul, and mind and keeping that balance and having Christ be, of course, the foundation of that whole journey. Because you can have a perfect health and have medications going and not have a headache or not having bipolar symptoms and still not be healthy mental health wise if you are trying to get your needs met in places away from Jesus. So mental health is a combination of body, soul, and spirit working together with the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. I love that definition, Dan. I think, however, that in the mental awareness or mental health awareness, there's a stigma there. You kind of mentioned that in your comments, but there is a stigma. I know that there are service people, for example, that come back with PTSD, but they don't want to go for help because of the stigma that they'll be tagged as someone with this kind of problem and it would maybe hurt them getting jobs or whatever. What do you say to that? What do you say to people that may feel that way, but they need help? Yeah, that becomes the problem, doesn't it? That there's that stigma that's still out there after all these years, the stigma that we have even among the church folks about mental health. And it's real. You get pegged in a certain way and it affects your job. It affects everything that you do. And so this is actually, Larry, April is Autism Awareness Month and the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. What I think about the awareness part is helping people be aware of the stigma, helping us get past it, helping us talk about it, you know, among our church people, small groups, talk about it from the pulpit, share stories of how people, real life people in our congregations have struggled with mental health 
pastors to share how they've struggled with mental health and how that Christ fits into that and how Christ becomes our foundation in the midst of that. And oftentimes we send people off to the psychiatrist or we send them off silently to someplace to get help or to some institution someplace. And then when they get well, then they can come back and be a part of our small group. But that's missing what the church is all about. We need to face into the stigma, have stories about folks that have made it past the stigma of mental health and find that when we open up and be vulnerable, that we are actually helping other people be vulnerable and start talking about it. And believe it or not, Larry, there's a lot of healing that takes place just when we know that it's a safe place to share in the church about our mental health issues. We need to make sure the stigma gets less and less and the victory of people making it through mental health issues becomes more the story. While a mental illness may not always be visible on the outside, it doesn't mean someone isn't hurting on the inside. It's time for all of us to change how we think and speak about mental illness. Mental illness can come in many forms. No wonder this is a topic many find hard to talk about. The American Psychiatric Association defines mental illness as a health condition involving changes in thinking, emotion, or behavior. These conditions may affect someone's ability to relate to others and function each day. Dan, I know that during COVID, I was home a lot. I mean, I was isolated a lot, and I felt for the first time in my life, I felt depressed. Everyone has a bad day, but I mean, I really spiraled into a depression, and I couldn't figure it out, but I realized at that point, this is the way people feel sometimes all the time, right? It's not just because of COVID, it's because culture itself sometimes is spinning down, and there's all these issues that people are facing in family and friends and so forth, and yet it's very hard for people to come and to seek help. I know we've got to try to get that stigma out of the perception that it's a bad thing to do. But I realized at first hand that I needed help. I needed to reach out to people. And so if you have leaders, for example, they're some of the worst because they don't want anyone to know they have any wrinkles, right? What do you say to people who are in that kind of category? They have some issues. They need to talk to somebody. But where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, great question. That We somehow have got to be the body of Christ to each other. I think it begins, Larry, with a definition or an understanding of discipleship of what the church really is. You know, the church is not a program. It's not a building that we go to. It's not a place that, you know, is just brick and mortar. It is the body of Christ. The church is every believer. So think about it this way. What if we truly are the body of Christ? What if the Bible's not lying about that? What if that's a fact? And what do people need? What do people need that have the stigma of mental health attached to them? They need Jesus. They need Jesus to show up. They need Jesus present with them. And Larry, if we truly are the body of Christ, and we're truly trained to believe that, then when we then are present with people that have the stigma of mental health, that have mental health challenges and issues, then we are the loving, unconditional presence of Christ right there. At that moment, connected to the body of Christ. That began to change my mind. 
about why I'm on this earth. It began to change my mind about why I'm a pastor, why I'm a therapist, why I'm anything at all, Larry, because that allowed me to be vulnerable. I could talk about how Jesus touched me when I was going through some difficult times of discouragement, anxiety, OCD thoughts, or different things that I was struggling with. I was able to share my story because I was accepted in Jesus. I didn't have to fear what other people were thinking about me. And then I could help that person in front of me not worry or fear about what they might share, but to let them know that I love them, that they're precious, that they matter. And guess what? That's what a lot of these folks need. A lot of healing occurs when they know that they matter. They know that they're accepted, not only by Jesus, but by the body of Jesus. And when we are so present that the body of Jesus is present through us, and we are actually that body of Jesus present with these people, it's amazing how that breaks down things. Now, just think about small groups being that way. Small groups truly believing that they have have the healing power of Christ in them, that people can come no matter what they say, and they're going to be accepted. They're going to be loved. That's what I've been trying to help the church understand, Larry, lately, especially in the midst of COVID. We have a chance to reset. Think about it. We have a chance to start all over again. Uh, churches have maybe gotten a little bit too institutional in their approach and maybe too much of the program approach to helping people. Maybe the program is us, Larry. Maybe the program is being the body of Christ to these folks. And when I do that, people open up. When I do that in the church, and allow small groups to begin to operate that way. People come to those small groups. You won't have any trouble finding a crowd of folks if you are accepting people where they're at and being the body of Jesus to them. It's a pretty amazing concept. And isn't that really the book of Acts when you think about it? Good counsel, Pastor. I can imagine that you are a good pastor just by what you're saying. And I can imagine you're a good therapist by what you're saying. And I love the idea of small groups because that's where we can get real. However, in light of all of that, it seems seems like sometimes we're hearing through culture and sometimes the church that there is this performance basis for acceptance, that somehow you got to perform, you got to be righteous, you've got to be holy, you got to be whatever. And sometimes we fall flat on that acceptance scale. So it sounds to me like you're kind of dismissing that and moving more into being human and relating on a human basis of actually failing or falling short and still yet be accepted. Is that right? That's exactly right. And interesting that you bring that up, Larry, because the performance-based acceptance thing can even kick in with all that I just described. Because what do we do with it? What did I do with it? I tried to make a program out of being the body of Christ. Here's the things you need to do. Then people would say, am I doing it right? And so often we focus on doing it right. We focus on doing rather than being. And I had to retrain myself that it's not about teaching people to do more. It's teaching them to be more. And that's a concept that doesn't fit our culture very well, actually, because we're trying to climb the ladder of success. We're looking at all of the how-tos in the Christian life. If I do the certain spiritual disciplines, then maybe that will bring about answers to my healing or help from God if I please Him just right. And so no matter what we're into, we have to be careful that we don't push performance-based acceptance on people. Acceptance comes from Jesus. Acceptance is there whether we fail or not. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on some illness that we have. It's not based on what we've done to others or what others have done to us. Sure, we have sin we need to repent of, obviously. But 
Christ has been the one and is the one and continues to be the one that has forgiven all of our sin. And we are righteous and holy. We are his saints. We are his people. We are his ambassadors. And what if that's true? We don't need a program for that, Larry, other than we are that program. And so the humility that came to me as a leader, as a therapist, as a pastor, where I thought I had the answers, I was trying to train other people to measure up to what I thought was right and to be the kind of church I thought they should be and all that kind of stuff. I was all into myself. Mm -hmm. I was into my own numbers game and performance game and trying to help others. That's where I got my needs met, Larry, was trying to perform for others, trying to please others. I was big time pleaser. I'm still <laughs> still my default. You know, my, my flesh is a big time pleaser. But once I accepted the fact that that's who I am in my flesh, then I was able to say, okay, that's what Dan Munson's flesh is always going to do. It's always going to be pleasing. It's always going to be trying to measure up, getting other people to, to like me because I know all of this stuff. And once I repented of that, I realized that, wow, I've had my eggs in the wrong basket from where real security comes from and happiness comes from. It's from the Lord. And so as I began to live out that kind of message to my family, to my wife, to my kids, to the people in church, the people in the therapy office, I began to share my own story. That was a humble thing. It took humility to do that because I didn't want to be seen as someone that was weak or someone that had to struggle in order to get this. But I realized that, wow, look what Jesus did at the cross for us and the kind of struggle he had on our behalf. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I finally was able to forgive myself, ask God's forgiveness, repent of getting needs met in wrong places so that I got out of the performance-based acceptance. It's still where I struggle. Satan still tries to get me to, you know, struggle with, that wasn't good enough, Dan. You didn't say it quite right. You know, you're going to be criticized. And I say, get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus, yeah. basically, you know, because that's just a lie. So that's my story. It's not about performance. It's about acceptance. And where does acceptance comes from? It comes from Jesus. We are accepted in the beloved, not for what we do, because of who we are. Yeah. We are accepted in the beloved. Mental illness is not a sin, but it is a result of having sin in the world. Right? So if there was no sin, would we battle depression and anxiety and things that just cripple us mentally? The answer would be no. When Jesus comes back and the world is made perfect, there will be no physical illness or mental illness. Is it a sin if you battle depression or anxiety? The answer is no. But you need to know that when you're in that state of mind, like it is very easy to sin. It's so easy to doubt God's promises and his love, his power, his plans for us. So where do you turn to when you're in like a really depressed spot or you're really anxious about something in your life? My best answer would just be this. When we look inside of ourselves, we see a lot of imperfections. We see a heart that sometimes trusts and sometimes doesn't. But when we open this book, we find so many good passages about God's promises to us. And I want to encourage you, like, even if in the moment something in you is doubting it, just like stay connected to it. Allow God to speak to you and allow people in your life to be able to speak those same passages to your heart. Uh, a great passage like 1 Peter 5 speaks specifically about anxiety. It says, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Just meditating on stuff like that, like God still cares for me. He cares what makes me depressed. He cares for me. And passages like that kind of snap us out of our own thinking and remind us how big and caring and loving and forgiving God is. And I know as the older I get, I begin to realize that my two ears are very important to listen to people. Not only just for problems or for, you know, who they are, what their story is, but to listen for 
perhaps to where their hearts are at, where their emotions are at, where their mental health is at. Because I think we need to be trained to be, well, can we say uh, triage people, people that are in the society, in the church, whatever, listening for how we may be able to help. And so what signs would you suggest that we listen for as we talk to people that might indicate there is some issues going on in this person's life? Listening is so big, Larry. Listening, because that gets us out of our own head of trying to fix it, you know, trying to bring more information, trying to explain to people what they're going through. That's not that helpful, typically. But listening, being the body of Christ that listens. When I get the noise out of my own head of what I think I should say or what I think they should be saying, or if I get the the noise out of my head about the information I just read about that I want to give this family or give this person, then I can finally, finally get down to listening. So I'm not interpreting or I'm not thinking about my next statement as I'm listening. And so as I listen to the person, then I, then I notice things. I begin to notice things. You begin to see the person through the eyes of Jesus. You begin to be drawn with compassion towards the person that may have actually been kind of irritating at first because they just are taking up your time and they've got these problems and you just want to send them to the psychiatrist or somewhere. And you realize that, wow, isn't it amazing how so often we're so centered around ourselves and our own discomfort that uh, we don't just simply listen. Now, once we listen, the Holy Spirit kicks in and the Spirit begins to show us things that this person is struggling with. And it's anxiety or depression or suicidal idolation or can't sleep or they, they're eating too much or they're not eating enough. They're becoming anorexic. They're becoming obsessed with thoughts and fears and phobias and all kinds of things. And you just listen. And the more you listen, the more they'll share. If you cut them off and try to say, well, you know, maybe try this or try that, or I can send you to the doc or we can maybe go to a therapist. I'll try to find you a Christian therapist. As soon as we do that, we, we're not listening anymore. But as we begin to listen more, we can say, say more about that. Wow. You know, thank you for sharing that. In fact, I may have something inside of me, Larry, that I could share and say, what you just shared, I personally have experienced at some level in my life. And I know it's painful and I know it hurts. And I know that you just feel lost Mm. because I've felt that way as well. Then you can share some of your own story about Mm. how Jesus came to your moment and how Jesus was your adequacy and what you needed in that moment. And then you can give that person hope because you're the body of Christ there. But that listening you said is not as easy as just say, we need to listen. It takes time. It takes our own abiding in, in the word to slow down and sit with Jesus. And what I had to do first, Larry, I had to listen to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Pastors say, believe it or not, we don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then they say, I can't believe I just said that. I don't have time to listen to Jesus. As we slow down and have our times where we just uh, simply meditate upon his word and let the word of God sink in and Jesus begins to speak to us through his word. And then we not only have his word to think about, but we have him present in the waiting room of our life. And he sits with us and we're present with him and he with us. And then he gives to us peace, his peace. And so when we are present with people and we truly listen, guess what? The peace of God in us through the Holy Spirit will actually literally flow through us like sap flows through a tree towards that other person. And just think of support groups, small groups have that mentality, the kind of healing 
that could take place. Well, Dan, you've been so helpful. This has been such a rich time of conversation about a very difficult theme or topic, obviously. But if our audience is listening to you and either has a loved one or themselves are going through some sort of mental breakdown or in depression or something, where would you suggest they begin to find help? If it's suicidal isolation, you you know call 911 for yourself even or find somebody that would get you into the emergency room. If it's someone that has just lost all sense of reality and they're so angry or depressed that they feel that they're not able to cope at all, you get them into an emergency room and get them help. But typically, those aren't the cases that we see often first. We see people that they're standing off by themselves, they're withdrawn. We begin to pray for that person. We begin to connect with them. We come along beside them and and say, you know, hey, would you like a cup of coffee or would you like to connect? I've been thinking about you for a while. I'd like to get better acquainted. And many times they just brighten up. Mm. They just brighten up at, at that time. So instead of some of the busyness in terms of meetings that we go to, I suggest that we think about people. Think about people in the hallway at church, people at work, people in the neighborhood, neighbors that we see that are starting to limp or they're struggling with life. Begin to see people instead of them just being a project. See them as someone Jesus loves. See them as you being the body of Christ, looking at how you might come along beside them and minister to them. And it's amazing at that point how that high percentage of of people uh, don't need as much help as we might think. They need that body-life connection. And then out of those relationships, Larry, uh, then we can help them get onto the medication they might need. I even helped uh, a relative of mine. We had to commit them, you know, because they needed help. And yet we loved them to the point that we were able to actually commit them into uh, help and they got the medication they needed. So we have all kinds of ways, but it begins with seeing them through the eyes of Jesus and seeing what the power of being present with them the power of Jesus through us being present with them. See what that does first, unless it's a 911 situation. And we will find that there will be healing and healings and all kinds of things that will begin to take place in them and in us as we become the body of Christ to people around us. Well, Pastor and Therapist Dan Munson, thank you so much for your time today. This podcast will be going out in the next uh, few weeks, and I'm just excited to hear some of the results of people that hear it and find help. So again, thank you so much. It was good to be with you, Larry. Thanks for the opportunity. Our vision at the Crossroads Chapel is to make Jesus known. Our mission is to tell his story. We are people just like you who are making a difference by bringing the hope of Jesus Christ into focus. Please check out our website to join thousands who are coming together to make his story known. Check out thecrossroadschapel.org. That's thecrossroadschapel.org.